0: So please stand for the reading of God's word from the book of Psalms, chapter 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sounds of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning and welcome again, particularly if you're new. I'm Travis, I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, If you are just joining us, we are working through uh, a little series called The Life of the Church, Uh, trying to unpack, particularly for those who don't believe what is the church about there are a lot of different concepts in our culture in our world maybe even concepts you've had that we've had about what is the church supposed to be what are we here to do and to also address for those of us who do believe again what is this life what are we about what is our mission what is our purpose what is our essence what does it mean to be the people of God? And there are many different pictures we could use to unpack the life of the church. Scripture has a lot of different pictures about what that looks like. But we've been borrowing from one author's book, The Life of the Lo- Beloved by Henry Nowen, that gives uh, one picture with four words. He uses the picture of communion, the sacrament that we practice each week. And he uses four words to describe what happens there, that, that the bread is chosen, it's blessed, it's broken, and it's given. He says this is a picture for the Christian life. He says, as a Christian, I am called to become bread for the world, bread that is chosen, blessed, broken, and given. Our our Christian life, he's getting at, is meant to be sort of a living sacrament for the world, that we're meant to be something not just for ourselves, but for others, that we are chosen for ourselves, but also for others, for God's glory, blessed, broken, given, all these things, not just for us, but for others. And we've been working through this picture, this paradigm, and these four words, two weeks at a time, trying to understand more deeply what's the life of the church about, We've talked so far about what does it mean to be chosen, about the fact that God chose us before we ever did anything that would qualify us for choosing. And that he chooses us not because of something in us, but just because he has chosen to love us. And that he blesses us in a way that doesn't just recognize something good in us, it's not just an affirmation, it actually creates by the power of its word, the very thing that he promises in us. And now this week we're starting to pivot to not just the good stuff, but some of the hard stuff that's part of the life of being a Christian, part of the life of the church, which is the topic of brokenness. It's something that we are likely all pretty familiar with, something that you may have experienced on your way in today, this last week, this year, in your life, that people close to you have experienced deeply. It's something that we probably don't have to talk about too much because you just understand it implicitly. But perhaps we're not as familiar with how it's something that God uses in our life, something that he's not overcome by, but something he actually enters into and does something new with. Now, this is only one of two sermons on a topic that could be a vast series in and of itself. Uh, suffering is complex, Brokenness is painful, it is hard, it is ever-present. We can think about the the derailment of the train in India this week that is tragic and painful and our hearts long with those who suddenly lost people they expected to see home later that day. I'm not going to be able to get into exactly how we bear up under all these things. If you'd like some help with that, we went through a, a series earlier in the year called Walking in Darkness. I invite you to go to our, our website and see some of those sermons. But today we're going to focus a little bit differently. We're going to focus on three aspects of brokenness that come out of the psalm. We're going to look at the reality of it, the accessibility that brokenness brings, and the personal importance of sharing our brokenness for the life of the church. So the reality, the accessibility that it brings, and the personal importance of sharing our brokenness for the life of the church. But before we do that, I invite you to to bow your heads and let's pray once more and ask God to be present with us as we open his word together. Father, your word gives us the confidence that you understand what brokenness is all about says that you catch every tear of ours in a bottle, that you have numbered our days, that you hear the cries of our hearts, that you hear those who are crying out in pain in India right now, you hear those who are crying out in pain even if quietly here right now. You are the one who hears our cries. You are still the God who hears prayer. You are still the God who intervenes, who enters in, who comforts, who consoles, who does more than we can ask or expect or imagine. Would you be God so much greater than the reality that we see just in front of our senses, so much greater maybe than the pain that we feel in our bodies and in our hearts? Would you be that overwhelming presence of a God who renews and makes all things new, even us? So would you open the doors of our hearts just a little this morning that we might see something of the greatness of who you are amidst our brokenness, that you would tell us the story that brokenness is not the end. It is just a pathway to a new beginning. So I pray that you would be in our lives, in our hearts this morning. Would you speak to these hearts in a way that I cannot, Holy Spirit, move by your power. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. If you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We'll go back through the text a little bit together, particularly in this first point this morning as we discuss uh, the reality of brokenness. Uh, This is a very real, raw psalm. David is not parsing words here. He's not sort of hiding how he feels. He isn't sugarcoating it. He is just being honest about his pain. There's nothing when you read this psalm that feels like, I wonder what he's feeling right now, right? It's just pure emotion. It's very clear. He's not hiding any of these things. He's seeming to suffer in a variety of ways, body, mind, and soul because of what his enemies, if you look at verse 7, uh, are doing or seem to be threatening to do to him. We don't know exactly what that is, but whatever's happening around him, someone is at least harming or promising to harm him, to change his life in a way that's causing him to break down in several ways. Verse 2, it says he's, he's languishing in our translation, but, but maybe a better way to translate that is as frail. His body isn't well. He feels weak He feels like he is breaking down in some sense. It says also that his bones are troubled. You can translate troubled maybe a little better as terrified. So the trouble of his mind has started manifesting in his body, and and this is a way of saying that it it can't go any deeper in, that that I'm shaking, I'm shivering at a bone level. There is something that is troubling my mind so deeply that my body is reacting to it. In fact, he says his mind is so stressed in verse 3 that he can't really even get the words together to express what he's feeling. That's what that sentence is, is conveying when it says, but you, O Lord, how long? It doesn't say how long until you answer. It doesn't say how long until you rescue me. It doesn't say how long until I see where this is going. He just says, how long? He can't go farther. Maybe some of you know that point. I think we've all had those moments where you just get choked up. You can't say more. His mind can't get past what's happening to him. He's so upset. Verse 6 says he's crying so much. The literal translation says that he is making his bed swim with tears. It's almost like that picture, I don't know if you saw Alice in Wonderland, the original Alice in Wonderland from like 100 years ago now, it's terrifying to say that, but it's a long time ago, uh, where Alice is so upset that she can't get through the little door because she took the wrong pill and now she's giant and she just starts crying and it floods this whole room. David is essentially saying the same thing, that he is crying so much as if he's, he's creating a flood in this little room that he is in, and no matter where he goes, he can't change his mindset, he's on his couch, he's crying, he's on his bed, he's crying. It's just following him wherever he goes. He can't turn his mind off from the pain. Verse 3, his soul is troubled or again terrified as well, meaning something like his spirit, not just his bones, is shaking. His sense of self, his understanding of the core of who he is, the unifying principle of his life is shaking, and he can't seem to make it stop. It's a time of deep, Pain and struggle. It feels, as we read this and think about it, like David's life is just unraveling before him. I don't know if you've had that experience, if you've walked with someone that's had that experience, it is a really hard place to be. I just want to have you see for a moment that scripture, God's own word, acknowledges that sometimes our life is just really hard that life is really painful. I want you to see that Scripture does not miss the fact that sometimes you are crying day in and day out and you can't make it stop. You wish you could and you can't. God knows that that is part of this world and he is not afraid to have you hear about it. There's a lot we could go into and what it means to experience broken like, brokenness like this, how we might navigate something like this in our own lives. But we're going to focus just for a little while here on the painful reality that this exists, that experiences like this happen and that they happen even and especially to God's chosen ones, those he cares about, like David. David was his anointed king. It's hard to be more chosen than the king. Even someone who is as chosen as the king goes through something like this in their life. And yet David suggests as he reflects on all these things that all of this is happening under the oversight, under the listening ear of God himself. God's not absent in the midst of these things. It's not like God has no idea but that God is present because David opens by talking to God. Those are his very first words. What does he say? Oh Lord. Very first words out of his mouth are talking to God and he keeps talking to God throughout it. He keeps saying, oh Lord, turn, but you, oh Lord, how long? So many times he keeps talking to God, he closes even by saying he's confident that in the midst of all this, God hears him. David understands God to be present and listening while someone as chosen and blessed as he is is suffering something like this. God is present and listening while all that is happening. He doesn't say, I'm suffering, so God must be gone. I might not even talk to you anymore, God. I don't want to hear from you. I must not be loved says, this is happening, and God, you're still here. I'm still confident that you are good. I'm still confident that you love me, that you would hear me when I talk to you about this. It's not one or the other, that, that either my life is good and God loves me, or my life is bad and God doesn't care or he isn't there. David is saying something very difficult. He's saying it's actually both. Your life as a Christian can be both broken and broken and chosen. It's a difficult truth that scripture holds out to us that in some ways it's a knot that we cannot untie but one that David still insists is true that God can be present that he can hear us that he can relate to us in our suffering and not even if only for a time and not take it away. And for all that, not be evil or powerless somehow. And in fact, David is so confident that God is still powerful in the midst of this, that he says he will end all of this at some point in a snap, suddenly, instantly. That's what that last verse is getting at. That God can do all things. And so in any moment that he chooses, at the right time, he will just go... And all this will stop. That's how confident David is that his brokenness doesn't mean that God has no power. He's still confident that in the midst of his life, having this utter breakdown, God still has the power to make all of it stop in a second. So David invites us to wrestle with the reality that brokenness and the presence or the blessing of God are not mutually exclusive but that to be God's chosen, his blessed one, includes brokenness. It does not exclude brokenness from your life. Our secular culture does not have a category for this. God either blesses you and your life is great, or he hates you or is powerless and your life is cursed. That's the duality that our culture would set up for us. This problem of suffering to the common culture suggests that God must not be real or must not be able. There is an inability to sense what scripture draws out here naturally, which we need to see and wouldn't see otherwise on our own. Which is that there is a third reality. It is not either or, it is actually both. Brokenness does not tell you whether God exists or not. It does not tell you whether God is pleased with you or not. It does not tell you whether God loves you, whether God is strong or not. God is the one who tells you what he thinks of you. You don't have to read the signs. Christianity is not some sort of mysticism where you have to discern the signs and the clouds and the stars in your life and try and figure out what is God telling me? Is he trying to send me this? That is the whole point of what Scripture is about that you might clearly know in unequivocal terms what God thinks about you, how he feels about you. He doesn't want you to guess. He wants you to hear And he's going to tell us something that is difficult, this third possibility, that that brokenness is not God over the universe, the ultimate power that tells you what you're worth, and if it exists, that means you're worth nothing. If it exists, that means God is worth nothing. David disagrees. He holds out this paradox that you can be both chosen and broken at the same time. This challenge that may be God's love for you cannot be fully expressed in this life and its passing circumstances. Any more than you could fit the Louvre's entire art collection into one small studio apartment. Imagine how ridiculous that idea would be. The Louvre is the largest museum in the world, trying to fit the entirety of its collection into one small studio apartment it would not matter whether that studio apartment is clean or dirty. It wouldn't matter if it's breaking down and hasn't been remodeled or whether it's fresh and flossy. You would not fit the entire collection in that place. And in the same way, if God's love is the Louvre, the largest museum there could be, and your life is a studio apartment, how could the state of your life the messiness or cleanness of your apartment, the breakdown or the surviving of your apartment, of your life, how could that possibly express the fullness of God's love for you? It can't do it any more than Jesus's earthly life could be an exhaustive picture of the love of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for the third person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus Christ. Because no one was more ch- more chosen, more blessed, more loved of God the Father and the Holy Spirit in this life than Jesus Christ. And yet no one, Scripture is convinced, experienced more brokenness than he did. No one was more a man of sorrows. No one was more truly a man of suffering, who Scripture says carried the weight of all the sins for all who would ever believe on him at the cross. Carried all of that by himself. David here is wrestling and his life is breaking under what some people are doing to him, not even a wrestling of what he would do to undo that for them of paying the price for them. Jesus was bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders. His life was being crushed utterly under these things as he wrestled under the weight of a sin of a whole people across the world, down through time and forward through the ages, suffering not just because of us, but for us, for our seeking blessing somewhere that it can't be found and taking away in places that it ought to be found. In Jesus' life, of which the cross is the ultimate pinnacle picture, to be chosen is also to be broken. There is no other way. The Messiah came to die that we might live. He was chosen to be broken. And in being broken, to break the power of sin and death that held you and I captive... The gospel would like you to clearly know that if there was no brokenness for Jesus, there is no healing for us. The idea of Jesus as just a good teacher, just a nice guy, that is not the picture that scripture gives us. The picture that scripture gives us is as one who is coming to be broken in order to fix brokenness. If there is not brokenness in the Christ, then there is still brokenness in you. But if there was a brokenness that he underwent, if he descended to hell, as the confession says, on the cross, if he endured that experience of carrying all the crushing weight of our sin, then there is hope and healing, chosenness, blessing for us. You see, Psalm 6 and Jesus' life shares an important reality that God's chosen, blessed people do get broken. Brokenness is an expected reality of the Christian life that happens under and within the care of God. If you are going through brokenness in your life right now as a Christian, if you are not a Christian and you are watching other Christians go through brokenness in their lives, that is not according to Scripture's testimony, according to Jesus' life, according to Psalm 6, that is not an indicator that God is not for you. Brokenness is part of the road we walk as the church. And that's for a variety of reasons we're going to get into now, starting first with the accessibility that brokenness brings to the world around us. Because if the Christian life is not one that is expected to be uh, free from messiness, free from brokenness, free from problems, failures, mistakes but one that is actually expected to be constantly struggling, constantly a mess, and even hurting at a bone-deep level, then there is enormous accessibility to the church. I would bet you have never felt more of an outsider than when you have walked into some kind of group, the church is a great example of this, where it seems like everyone has it together. Seems like everyone looks great, everyone smells great, everyone sounds great, everyone has a great job, great relationships. You just feel like, ugh, did I shower today? Right? Like you, you can't help but feel on the outside. But when brokenness is on display, you can be real. You can be you. The church is exactly that place. It's meant to be a place where breakdown that's so real and normal in our world is not somehow absent here, but present, expected to be here, and not celebrated for itself, in and of itself, but expected as a part of life that God has come to touch with his grace and healing. It's this brokenness on display, like David shows us in Psalm 6, that makes Scripture and the church actually so much more accessible to you and I. Because psalms of lament, like this one, that's what Psalm 6 would be categorized, psalms of brokenness, are a public sharing of deep personal pain that gives an opportunity for others who are equally low to see themselves represented in the text. To see yourself represented in the church, to see an echo of who you are. Representation representation is so deeply important to our lives to see an echo of who we are, to see someone who, who looks like you, who thinks like you in the place that you call home, who understands you. Scripture is holding that out for you to say, in your brokenness, I see you. You are home. You have a place here. For the church to share our personal brokenness and pain in a world of brokenness and pain is for the church to give others the opportunity to see yourself here, to see yourself represented here, to not have to be cleaned up to be here, to not have to have a certain kind of credential, a certain kind of accomplishment, a certain kind of maturity in your life, that there is a messiness that the church expects. It's like Christ taking on human flesh is the church taking on brokenness. It makes us accessible, relatable, someone that you can understand. And so the brokenness of the church, far from being something that, that we should hide, is actually really what should be our front doors. Right? We've already done plenty of renovation, we were trying to fix it, so we're not going to do something now. But it should be, in so many relational ways, the front doors of the church is brokenness. Not polish, not put together, but just mess and brokenness. Not to terrify others, right? But to say that you can come in with your mess here because it's what makes us accessible. It's what makes us relatable. You don't have to put on airs to be here. You don't have to get it all together to be here. Because if we are to be this, this living sacrament that Nouwen talks about, this bread for the world, it has to be a bread that is approachable. And the most approachable bread is one that is broken. If you try to take a bite just into a giant crusty sourdough loaf, as amazing as that may sound, by itself, unbroken, you will struggle. But if it is broken, it becomes accessible. In the same way, our brokenness is not a less than, it is a more than invitation for others to come in. So don't hide your brokenness, at least not from everyone, right? There is some wisdom in how we share some of the brokenness of our lives that's deeply personal, that that feels fragile and vulnerable. But we are to be a people who are broken, whose brokenness is known by others so that others can come as they are and see a window into themselves through you, through me, where I don't have to be the perfect pastor. You don't have to be the perfect church member. You don't have to be the perfect parent, the perfect child, the perfect sibling, the perfect nothing. Jesus Christ becomes your perfection, and you just get to be someone who belongs to him. There is a great freedom in that to be an open door for others through our brokenness, not through our achieving. Isn't this area all about achieving as the doorway? Achieving is what gets you in the door, as what welcomes others in. How countercultural is the gospel to say brokenness? That's the open door. And yet it's insanely hard to let that be the open door to others. It's scary even. And it requires uh, practice, Certainly, it requires a lot of motivation and vision and help. And that's what I want to think about here in our third point, which relates to the personal importance of sharing our brokenness. It's not just for others, as we're going to talk about here. Certainly, David speaking these words was not just for others. It was also for him, because sharing our brokenness is not just important in being accessible in a world of brokenness. It's also important and actually helps us. It may feel scary, but it is actually helpful because sharing our brokenness doesn't just let others come out into the light. It also lets us come out into the light. It lets us stop hiding. Stop feeling like, yeah, that part of me, I don't ever talk about that part of me. That part of my life, I can't ever talk about that part of my life. Where parts of you are closed off, locked off, and sent away. Instead of the fullness of your experience. The brokenness of your story, having a place where it can actually rest and not be thrown away, where even that can become something more. It actually takes more work to hide who we really are than to let who we really are come out into the light. How much energy do you and I spend trying to hide who we have been, right? Trying to put that behind us, trying to clean up our act, trying to make sure we never send an email the wrong way or whatever it might be if you're not sending emails. We try so hard, we spend so much energy on trying to make sure that parts of us are hidden. It actually takes less energy to just be. It takes a lot of practice, like I said. It is insanely hard, but it eventually is easier to not be constantly hiding what you're wrestling with. We can be real and not have to hide. The fullness of us can come out and we can live just as broken people. That's the advantage, not just for letting others see that they can be broken too, but you can live as an imperfect person. Grace still gets to rule in the church. It still gets to be the lifeblood of the church, that you don't have to be a flawless person here. You can be a deeply broken person who is always making mistakes, who is often saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, who is cold when we should be warm, who is excited when we should be grieving, all these kinds of things. You get to be the person who doesn't know exactly how to do life. The the right way and find grace here you get to be free from being perfect aren't you tired of trying to be perfect God is not expecting you to get there but inviting you to be free in being imperfect in being broken in being home And will you perhaps be rejected? Will you be treated the wrong way at some time for showing your brokenness here? I would say chances are probably 100%. Right? Because you're around other broken people. But what if you're not? What if just one time when you put your brokenness on the line, you find home instead of rejection? Isn't that worth so much more and always hardening ourselves, always shielding ourselves off. Part of David's sharing here is likely just letting it out, letting himself be free from trying to hide around others what he feels like he can't contain anymore, the fact that he is flooding his room with his pain. Part of his speaking, this is undoubtedly so he can just be real, both with God and with others and not have to hide anymore. This psalm was written not just for our benefit, but for his. It had to come out. There's a certain sense we can feel that coming out of the page that if David doesn't get this off his chest, he is not going to make it. This has to get out. There's a sense in which this is a burden he can't carry alone that he needs to, at the very least, set it before God and engage with God about these things, but that it's also a setting it before the community, before someone else who could walk with him in these things, that he might not be alone in this pain. He had to share it. The burden was one that he could not carry alone. Is that you this morning? Are you walking with some burden that feels like I just can't carry this alone. The invitation to share your brokenness is that you wouldn't have to. That someone you trust, someone who deserves your trust, who, is, who has shown you that they will hear your story with grace, that that is someone who can walk alongside you that you wouldn't have to go it alone. It was true for David and it's true for us that we share not just because it lets others in but because it lets us find a place to not be alone and in pain by ourselves. A place where we can be known. Brokenness seems like something that if we let it just run away, we'll have so much less, we'll be rejected, we'll be forgotten. But the reality is it's something God uses to give both others and ourselves much more than we imagine. It gives us the opportunity to be broken and to still belong. And So practically I want to invite you to do a couple things with your brokenness this week pretty briefly here by way of application. I want to invite you to get it out and to share it. To just do those two things. To get it out and to share it, take a little time later today, tomorrow, tonight, whenever you wanna do it. Take five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour, get it out. Whatever you're wrestling with right now, the person that you are so upset with who has deeply hurt you, the situation in your life where you just feel like God is not showing up for you, the thing that you haven't talked about for 10 years that you're not sure what to do with still, just get it out, even if all you can say is, Lord, How long? You don't have to have all the words, but you are invited to get it out, to let it speak. There is something of value in sitting down and writing out, typing out, whatever it is, creating a song, painting it, however you want to do it, in getting it out. There is something that lets us start to heal in these things, that lets us start to move forward when they are not just contained, but when they are spoken, when they are given airtime. And I want to encourage you to be as real as you can possibly be in that. So real that you might scare someone if you showed it to them, right? You don't have to show it to them, but just be raw, okay? Be real. There are so many times when if you really understood what the original language was saying, you'd think, ooh, that's a little spicy. I don't know if I would talk to God that way, right? That's some of how David talks in the Psalms. You are invited to talk to God that way. Be like, I don't understand. You can do that. Right? God's not going to be like, ah, I knew it, you're out of here. I was waiting for this, that's not how it works, right? Just be real, let it out that you might even understand what you're working with. So get it out, externalize it like David does. And secondly, wisely share it. Maybe share a redacted version of it that gets rid of some of the expletives that you had to put in there, right? Share it, at least with God in prayer and with at least just one person. That's all. One person that you feel safe with. Someone that you trust is going to understand you, that understands your story, or that you're reasonably comfortable taking a risk with, and let that person know what you're going through. Invite them to do the same. Invite them to sit down for a few minutes, not maybe in that moment, but to write down thoughts about something that they're really frustrated about. Something that feels like really hurts that you all might know each other in a different way, that you might not be walking alone in these things so that we can walk together arm in arm, struggling toward that giant museum kind of love that God has for us that can't be contained in this life, but that we might limp together toward those open halls where God's love is fully on display. Let's pray like to leave a few minutes for you to respond in your own heart to what God's been saying to you in our service to maybe thank Him for being so much greater than, than our brokenness would tell us He is. Thank Him for speaking grace to us even in the midst of brokenness for being present maybe confessing the ways that, that we really wanted to hide our brokenness from Him from others. We're afraid of what that means and ask Him to help us just get it out, to let it be, to let it be okay to be broken. Let's talk to him for a moment. Thank you that you hear our prayers, that you meet us in our brokenness, that you work all these things for the good. It's in your name we pray. Amen.